Hey, this is Rondé Barber, former Virginia Cavalier, now class of 2023 Pro Football Hall of Famer. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. I'm Chris Graham, joined by Hall of Famer Jerry Ratcliffe. We've got a lot to talk about. We're coming back from the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte. We've got some football news, obviously, to talk about. There's so much from, from the kickoff. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit later some basketball recruiting news from UVA basketball. But, uh, Jerry, uh, the news today as we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, we're still getting news from the kickoff, even though we left Charlotte last week. Um, the preseason poll out today, and I'm guessing that later this week, probably tomorrow, the the um, preseason first and second and whatever other teams will be out. But we have the preseason poll today. Clemson first, NC, uh, Florida State second. Uh, not surprising maybe there, and I guess also probably not surprising, Virginia picked 14th, dead last in the ACC coming into 2023. Uh, sort of your assessment of of that, and how did that match with how you voted? Uh, pretty close. I think uh, I don't remember the exact order, but just looking at, at, uh, at what I see from the results, I think mine was – was relatively close to the what how it came out. Um, I think probably the, in, in some of the middle of the pack uh, voting, I, I looked at schools that had to play Clemson and Florida State in the same season and automatically knocked them down a notch below people who didn't have to play those. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I think pretty close. So you had, you had Clemson. Uh, I guess runaway in first place votes with 103 to 67 over Florida State, but the uh, Florida State was pretty much uh, if they weren't voted number one, they were voted number two, and I think vice versa with Clemson, uh, they were runaway favorites uh, for the first two spots, and then North Carolina, NC State, uh, Miami, and Duke. Uh, I think Duke probably got knocked down a little bit because they they are one of the schools that have to play Florida State and Clemson. Uh, then Pitt and Louisville, uh, Wake Forest, who also has to play uh, Florida State and Clemson, finished in ninth place. I think if they hadn't had such a t- tough schedule, and they might have to play Notre Dame too. I'm not sure, but uh, – they would have probably finished higher than uh, number 10, Syracuse, number 11, Virginia Tech, number 12, Georgia Tech, number 13, Boston College, and number 14, Virginia. Um, that, that, that's probably going to be a, a close race for those last five spots between those five schools. I don't think there's a whole lot that separates the five, really, except um, Virginia's uh, – uh, still up in the air on on how they can score, and and that's going to keep Virginia uh, a big question mark in most people's minds because if you can't score, you can't win. Yeah, I think uh, Virginia uh, probably it's fair to say the should go into the season as the the favorite if you can be a favorite to be last place. But I think two the top four matches my thoughts. I think after the top four, I think those those four are the the, the teams that are the best. I mean, obviously Florida state uh, Clemson, Florida state are, are the clear top two. I think Carolina could play their way into that mix. I think state maybe could with Robert and I and, and Brennan Armstrong two former Virginia guys, they're uh, running the offense uh, f- for that team this year. You know, they won eight games last year with uh, an offense that was actually uh, less productive than Virginia's offense. So if they can win eight games with that, they can certainly, uh, if they can build upon that, they can, they can do well there. Uh, I think the middle of the pack is the middle of the pack. And then I, I would agree with you. Those bottom five are the, you know, they're the bottom five and we'll, we'll, you know, who moves higher within that bottom five or lower as the season goes on. Um, but I think those are the three kind of um, stratification levels for the ACC this year. And even within yeah. the first one, there's, there's a, a clear, you know, top and bottom of, of those first four. Um you know, I I, I think storyline wise, Jerry. I mean, I, the ACC, which has not had a team in the playoff the last couple of years, needs a team in the playoff. This is the last year of the fourteen playoff. We'll go to twelve next year, um, with the new scheduling model and the and the you know going back uh, to a you know fourteen team conference instead of two seven team divisions, and the 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 championship game is one versus two. Um, 
will help uh, in that respect. If Florida State and Clemson or Clemson and Florida State finish one and two, um, they will get to play in the championship game, whereas in past years they would not have been able to do that. Um, but the ACC desperately needs to have somebody in that playoff, and I think we need Drake May to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, if not win the thing, uh, for the ACC to get some some cachet that we have not had the last few years. Yeah, and you know he could be. Uh, obviously, he's highly regarded around the country because some schools tried to lure him away with five million dollar NIL packages uh, because they felt like he was that good and could probably help their team uh, at least make the playoffs, if not get into the championship. And he's legit. I mean, he, he's we saw what he could do last year with a with a he was surrounded by a pretty good cast. Uh, his offensive coordinator Phil Longo is gone now. I think he went to Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, anyways, it'll be interesting to see how he coordinates with the new OC down there. And I think he lost a couple of his uh, favorite targets. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do. And in Carolina, the thing that's been holding them back has been their defense, really. And it's supposed to be a little bit improved this season. But uh, I, I agree. I think it's Clemson and Florida State. Um, they'll be playing in the ACC championship game in Charlotte. I guess the big question mark for Clemson is if their new quarterback who played in the bowl game last year, um, when they they sat their regular season guy and, and went with the freshman, true freshman in that, uh, in that game, uh, how he develops and and I think he has a I think they have a new offensive coordinator too I believe I think the guy that replaced Tony Elliott as OC is gone after uh that one season last year and they have a, a new guy in there whose name escapes me at the moment but um <clears throat> yeah it looks like a, a mostly a two horse horse race unless Carolina unless Drake May just has a phenomenal Heisman like year to where he can get the Tar Heels uh, in the winter circle over some teams that that might they might normally not beat. So uh, I can't see anybody below that unless Armstrong, like you said, if he and I can have the kind of year that they had at Virginia a few years ago, and uh, pull the rest of the team along with them. You know, who, who knows? But uh, it's yet to be determined. Yeah, I think that's the that was a big coup for uh, NC State for Dave Doran, not only to hire Robert and I, but then it just you know I, I don't I wonder if it was really a package deal, uh, and we may find that out a few years from now uh, to to bring Armstrong in with him. But for for Anai to be able to to go to a guy that has four years of experience running his system, and they've got a couple young quarterbacks there too that can learn and, and don't have to come right in and play the air raid. Uh, and that that can learn at the feet of Anai and also Brennan Armstrong how to see that how how that offense is run, but in the meantime, you know Armstrong can go back out there. He's got motivation certainly to try to uh, show that last season for him was an aberration, not the the previous years that uh, under Anai at Virginia were the aberrations. And uh, like I said, when I I did a piece on uh, Brennan and because he was at the kickoff, which was kind of weird to see. He was at the kickoff wearing red and white, not orange and blue like he was last year. Uh, but um, uh, did a piece on him and, and looking at their offense, they were actually Virginia was ranked 10th in offense last year in the ACC, which for Virginia fans, you know, we remember how anemic that felt compared to the year before when Virginia was third in the country in total offense. NC State was ranked 11th last year in total offense in the ACC. So, uh, and they still went eight and five uh, with, with, and even, it, you know, people could attribute that to Devin Leary uh, being out for six games, but his numbers were even down when he was playing before he got hurt. He, he uh, tore a pec muscle, had to have surgery and missed the last six games of the season. Their offense struggled even when he was healthy. So um, there were obvious issues there at State. I think states improved with uh, bringing an eye in and, and, of course, getting one year of Brennan Armstrong. So, yeah, I think they and, and, and Carolina both could that, you know, if things go the right way, they could they could play their way into uh, that ACC championship game. But 
I think after those four, Miami, you know, Jerry, I'll say this. It's kind of funny to me uh, because there's no division set up anymore in the EZZ. We didn't get to vote for Miami to be number one in the coastal like we see, like the media <laughs> likes to do every year. This is the first time we didn't get to do that. They get picked fifth this year. Uh, so we broke our Miami streak uh, as, a, as a media group. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. For a while, it was Carolina, and then it was Miami uh, winning the preseason coastal poll. But uh, I don't know. I I, I kind of miss the divisions. I, I thought having divisions was pretty cool. I'm I'm not sure the divisions were set up uh, to get the most out of them, but originally. But I I think I think divisional play is is going to hurt schools like Virginia in the long run because. I mean, you know, in a in a better situation, Virginia could compete for the Coastal Division crown. I don't know if they can compete for the overall ACC crown or not, but um, the way things are set up now, because uh, you used to have to beat six teams, now you got to beat uh, 12 teams to be in those top two. That's awfully hard to do, particularly uh, when your program is down like Virginia's is right now. So, uh, I mean, right now it's, it's they they couldn't even compete for the coastal title if it were divisional play. But I I, I kind I think that's going to hurt Virginia in the long run, um, and and some of the other schools that are normally in the bottom of the pack. <laughs> You saying that Virginia couldn't compete for, you know, even the Coastal right now. How about that comment from Brent Pry uh, on uh, his his when he was on the, the big stage there at the kickoff where he he was asked about uh, the quality of play in Virginia. And he just outright asserted that Virginia Tech is the flagship school in, in the state of Virginia. I know Tony, uh, Tony Elliott was asked about that in the breakout. Uh, I loved his reply. Uh, he's got to say that pretty much, right? But uh, um, you know, <laughs> uh, Tech was three and eight last year. Virginia was three and seven last year. Tech's had three straight losing seasons. Um, I, I don't know if if we can even declare a flagship school in Virginia right now. And if we did, I don't think we'd be declaring either Virginia, Virginia Tech that that flagship right now. Oh, you're probably right about that because uh, I mean, JMU was pretty darn good last year. So was William and Mary. Liberty. Liberty, Liberty at the Division Liberty One at the FBS levels had some success recently. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was standing beside uh, Tony Elliott when the the TV guy came up. I don't know where he was from, and uh, just kind of threw that in Tony's face. Brent Pye just said that they were the flagship program in the ACC. How, he stuck a microphone in his face. How do you reply? Re, reply? Respond to that? Uh, I don't know. You know that would. Those kind of, that's the kind of stuff that I don't like about mass media events. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what was Tony supposed to say? He, he said, I thought Tony's answer was good. He said, well, that's what Pry is supposed to say. And if, if you ask me that, that's what I'm supposed to say. So uh, you're right. I, at this point, it would be hard for either one of them to make a case that they're the flagship program in the state of Virginia because of uh, recent results. Um, and it's up in the air again this year, I would think, because I don't know if, if tech plays any other in-state school other than Virginia. I know Virginia plays William and Mary and JMU, two of the better other programs in the state right now. They open tech opens with ODU. Who's won two of the last three with tech. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> not sure ODU is in position to do that again. But they shouldn't have been last year either. And they, they but the game is in Blacksburg this year, so uh, yeah, that's true. Tech, so Tech did knows? defend home turf for that one win in the last three against ODU. But man, yeah, and, and Virginia, of course, has JMU week two. Um, and uh, you know, Liberty, Liberty, uh, Tech beat Liberty last year. That was kind of an upset to say the least, because Liberty actually had a had a seven and one start. They including wins over uh arkansas and uh byu they blew out byu in lynchburg yeah byu to come to lynchburg and then he just kicked kicked the crap out of them uh but then struggled down a stretch as uh, hugh freeze was looking for his next job which he got at auburn then they stole away jamie chedwell from coastal carolina I, i'm just they spend more money on their coach at liberty than virginia or virginia tech spends on their coaches they got that baptist money going for them 
Uh, I don't, I'm just, you know, Liberty might be our flagship school, but Virginia, Virginia Tech got some work to do, no doubt about that. Yeah, Liberty seems to have an unlimited uh, money pool, that's for sure. And every time I drive by there on my way south to uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, you, it seems like you see a new building going up yeah. off the side of the road. So, uh, yeah, the, who knows? They could end up being that way if, if they can get some momentum going. And uh, I think it did hurt them lo- losing Hugh Freeze, but uh, he was only going to be there so long. And this new guy, you know, he, he did a great job at Coastal. Perhaps he can continue that momentum at Liberty. So we've talked about what we learned in Charlotte. Uh, there was also a media event in Charlottesville uh, after the kickoff. Uh, you were there on Friday. Uh, that was a meeting with, well, Mike Collins was 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 the player who was there. Uh, but then uh, coaches, assistant coaches, position coaches, et cetera. I also got a chance to tour, uh, get a view of at least the new building that's going up. So uh, what, what did you learn in Charlottesville last Friday? Well, you know, um... I had focused mostly on offense when we were down in Charlotte. So when we came back uh, for Friday's event, I focused on defense. I'm still doing a little research and getting ready to write that. Um, But I talked to uh, John Rudzinski, the defensive coordinator, for a a lengthy period of time. And he's very uh, enthusiastic, very excited about this year's defense. And he should be because they have eight starters returning plus some other guys that have had some starting experience uh either here or elsewhere like malcolm green the defensive back from clemson who transferred up he's had a uh an entry problems a lot down at clemson that prevented him from really being all he could be uh you know i asked him a couple of weeks ago where he thought he'd be if he hadn't had all those injuries at clemson he said i think right now i'd be in the nfl in, in a training camp and he probably would have been so um yeah i think uh coach rudd is very fired up about the possibilities of this year's defense and uh the fact that they he has so many guys returning with experience i think allows him to perhaps maybe teach a little less and just concentrate on schemes and, and some other things. And uh, I'm, I imagine they could do a little bit more and be a little more aggressive if they want to be this year. And I talked to Chris Slade, the defensive end, outside linebackers coach, uh, some, and Chris, uh, his goal is to produce more sacks with his unit this year I think they had 12 uh, from his group last season, and he's expecting 25 to 30 this year. So he's going to be barking in their ear every day about uh, getting to the quarterback. And and they, if they're successful in doing that, yeah, that could that could help the offense because it could create some turnovers and maybe give uh, the offense some short fields and help them get on the scoreboard whereas that didn't happen much last year. But uh, a few years ago, in 2019, when Virginia was so great defensively and very aggressive in terms of pressing the quarterback and creating turnovers, we saw what that did for the offense, and it uh, it helped them win some games. And so, you know, perhaps that's that could be a secret weapon for Virginia this year is to create havoc uh which they did in 2019 and and uh put the offense in better situations what about that new building uh the 80 million dollar football ops center that i guess is last i heard now you can you'll 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 have the latest on this but last i heard was on track to open up next year 2024 what how how are things going there yeah it's supposed to open next spring um it looks like things are going very smoothly i guess uh Somewhat of a mild winter uh, and spring helped in terms of advancing the construction. Uh, we have a video of that and the whole complex from the McHugh Center all the way uh, panning left to right to the two new buildings. The Olympic Sports Building is going up right beside of the 
football building. The football building is a little bit ahead, obviously. Uh, and those buildings are in between the McHugh Center and the George Welsh Indoor Football Facility. And just outside, outside of that are the uh, grass practice fields where uh, U-Haul used to be. And so uh, you can get a good uh, look at that if you'll uh, observe the video uh, in the story on my on my website. But uh, it looks like it's coming up uh, quickly and, and uh, on, looked, appears to be on schedule. I don't, I don't know. I have a specific uh, rundown on that part of it, but um, I know that uh, they had some prospective recruits up I think yesterday, Chris, and uh, they were going to uh, show the building off to them. That's something that they're definitely going out of their way to do. Before, all they could do is show pictures and and uh, draw, drawings, renderings and stuff. But now they actually have, uh, they can show the kids the building that's going up and it'll be ready uh, before this time next year. And so the new class, this new incoming class uh, that they're recruiting now will be the first class to enjoy that building along with the guys who are returning to the program. But it, it's it's a much-needed facility, as we know. Um, uh, George Welsh, before he passed, talked to me about how badly they needed a new building to replace McHugh. And, of course, Mike London harped about that, as did Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, who contributed heavily to that building, if I recall. I think he gave him a half million dollars, what? I think that's okay. right, yeah, yeah. I suppose he left that in the pot when he left, but, um, you know, Virginia they, they was supposedly last in the ACC in that type of facility. I, I don't know, I haven't, back on the old ACC football tour, we used to see get to see all these facilities, something that you don't necessarily see as a fan or a, or a, a media person on game days when you go in for games, you, you don't get to tour the facilities like we did on the old ACC football tour. And, and schools went out of their way to show that to us, to show their progress. And uh, I remember one year in specific, it was in the uh, mid to, to late 90s, um, I had been on the football tour and wrote about wrote extensively about North Carolina's new facility, uh, how they had upgraded things. And it uh, struck Carl, the late Carl Smith, who was one of Virginia's uh, former Virginia football player and a very successful businessman here in town. And he uh, decided, you know, we've got to do something about this. And that's when he, at that time, made the largest contribution to a athletic facility in in uh, college football in the United States, and paid for the uh, renovation and expansion of Scott Stadium and Bryant Hall. As people remember what they had before that, it was it was pitiful, really. <laughs> Uh, they were dressing in Quonset huts in the uh, in what is now the uh, end zone where Bryant Hall is, uh, in a parking lot down there. And there was no Bryant Hall there. Uh, it was it was uh, it was a one deck stadium. It was just not uh, not a very uh, appealing place. Uh, and you talk about Virginia showing off this new facility. Back in those days, they didn't even they would try not to even take recruits by the football stadium if they could avoid it they would take them over to you all which at that time was was still in pretty good shape but um getting back getting off track a little bit there but uh now they can uh now they can show off this building to those recruits and they and i know they mentioned that on every recruiting visit and they're trying to use that to help lure some of the better to get visits from some of the better players in the state of Virginia, which they haven't, haven't been doing, been very successful at that in recent years, Chris. Well, you know, we, I remember when we talked with Jerry Capone a couple of years ago, I guess it was uh, Jerry, of course, a former well, coach on Georgia staff. And he, he was remembering the days of 
the trailer park, as they called it, where the coaches' offices for the football program were were in trailers outside of uh, U-Haul. Um, and then the, when McHugh Center came online in the late 80s, it was at that point for a year or two, it was state-of-the-art. But that's almost 40 years ago now. But And how things really improved then uh, for recruiting you know, and for, for attracting recruits. Um, you got to think that this new facility will could have, if, if you use it right, it should have the same kind of impact that, that McHugh had when it came one line, you know, back almost 40 years ago now. Yeah, you would, you would think so and hope so because, uh, everything that a football player needs is right there in, in one building and it's right there beside the football offices and beside the indoor facility and beside the practice fields um, which is is pretty pretty darn nice and everything will be updated and upgraded state of the art and it's something that virginia had lagged behind on i i haven't been to all the places in the acc and and know what they can compare it to but I did get a personal tour of the Oregon facility, which was the rave of the nation college football world uh, a few years ago when Virginia played out, out at Oregon. And I got a nice tour from their, one of their assistant ADs who was responsible for putting that building together. And I was just simply blown away by what I saw there. It was left nothing to the imagination for uh, I can imagine what a, a football recruit must have thought when he walked into that building compared to some of the other places that were probably recruiting him. Uh, I mean, it, it had everything you could imagine that a football player would, would ever want. Uh, and we've heard stories about Clemson's facility down there with the slide and uh, putt-putt and barbershops and all kinds of other stuff. So, I don't think Virginia is going to be having those features, but it will have everything that a player really needs. Um, and that's, that's all you need as a football player, just, you know, what's functional and, and what you need. You can eat there. You can uh, bond there with your teammates. They'll, they'll have uh, rest areas and uh, game rooms. I uh, assume that they can play video games and stuff and hang out. Uh, not to mention all the weightlifting and sports medicine and nutritional stuff, uh, uh, places to study. I'm, I'm sure it'll be have everything that a football player would need. Well, let's take a break. We're going to come back after the break. And on the other side, we'll talk about the offense. We've talked about the defense. Uh, and let's go in-depth on the UVA offense and what we can expect in 2023. So we'll hit that topic after we come back from these messages. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. And we're back. Uh, Chris Graham, Jerry Ratcliffe here on the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Um, we're going to talk some quarterback and offense for the UVA uh, football season coming up 2023. Expectations therein. And Jerry, uh, that was a big focal point down uh, when we were talking with Coach Elliott uh, and the players at the ACC kickoff. Um, you know, Tony Musket was part of the group, uh, the the presumptive starting quarterback, even though Tony Elliott, when he was talking with the members of the media, especially the breakout part, uh, he, he he wouldn't commit that, that Musket is going to be the guy, even though he's going to be the guy. Um Maybe we should start there. That that was, I mean, I, I know it's it's it kind of harkened back to me a little bit of Bronco Mendenhall's earn not given, but I mean Tony Musk has got to be the guy, right? Oh, no question, Chris. I, I think Tony was just being uh diplomatic about that because one, if you only have one guy who's really competing for that backup job, you certainly don't want to 
discourage him and let him know that he has absolutely no no chance of, of winning the position because he who knows in this day and age he might get frustrated and transfer to somewhere else he can play. Uh, uh, Mike London did that one year when he named the starting quarterback uh, early and, and uh, I think whoever was behind him left. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's any question at all that Tony Musket will be the starting quarterback when they play Tennessee in early September, and and rightfully so. I mean, the guy has a lot of starting experience. He's um, he's a very confident kid. I, I was impressed with him, with his confidence and his. Uh, uh, he's a he's a cool cool guy. I mean, he he. Uh, I don't I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to get rattled easily. But I you know we'll certainly find that out early on because I'm sure Tennessee will be uh, putting a lot of pressure on him to see if he can they can make him force him into a mistake or two and they'll see what he's all about. Uh, he's faced pressure before, but probably not the kind of pressure that Tennessee is capable of throwing at you. So, but, um, yeah, I, I think the job is his, uh, and, and his to keep, it depends on how he performs. And when, uh, when linebackers and cornerbacks and people start blitzing you and, We'll find out if he can handle that kind of thing. And, um, you know, some people, have, I've gotten a few nasty comments about, you know, uh, give the kid a chance and all that stuff. Well, you know, heck, I, you know, I hope, I hope he wins ACC quarterback of the year. I hope Virginia goes, can win 10 games, but we, we got to be realistic here. Um, uh, they're coming off a, a three-win season. They lost most of the offense that they had. I think in, out of Charlotte, I, uh, I think we wrote that I can't remember the percentage of uh, offensive production they have coming back. I can't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but they were ranked like 126th in the country out of 133 yeah, yeah. Vision 1F uh, FBS schools in uh, returning offensive production and that, that that i mean that puts you behind the eight ball to start with um from an offense that only scored 17 points a game with all of its offensive firepower last year um we don't know if tony musket is going to be productive as a Divi uh, division one fbs quarterback he, he's played fcs was successful, has experienced, uh, he's been there and, uh, I'm sure that amounts to a lot because I think experience makes up sometimes for, uh, other things that a quarterback or other player might not have, but he's got to prove it on the field and that's yet to be determined. Yeah, you know, I covered. Uh, I was I was a broadcaster at the FCS level for several years. I was a VMI um, football's uh, radio play-by-play -play guy for for nine years. Um, it's a different game. It's it's you know, I mean, it, there's a lot of I mean, it's, it's football, but you know, the defensive ends aren't as big. They're not as fast. The linebackers same, not as big, not as fast. The cornerbacks largely is you know they're they're not as fast. Um, of course, your receivers aren't either. They're not, you know, they're not the FBS receivers, but um, the advantage he has, I asked him about this. I, I talked with him for about 20 minutes at the kickoff. Um, you know, he he's, he thinks that the fact that at, Mon at Monmouth, he ran the pro-style offense that Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings run at Virginia is an advantage for him. It's a timing offense. He talked about, you know, how he feels like, all right, you know, for three years, uh, 23 games, he, that's how many games he started. He missed a a little bit at the end of last year with uh, with an injury that was does not linger. He's he's fine. Uh, he thought he could come back at the end of last year, and they held him out uh, for precautionary reasons. But um, he thinks that because it's a timing offense, the timing's the same. Um, it might be a little faster, um, but you know. So there, he, he the problem he's got is that as you mentioned, Jerry, he, he's not coming into a situation that's that's great as it is. Uh, Virginia losing its 
its top receivers from last year. Uh, the entire, almost the entire offensive line, four of the five starters are gone. Um, you know, the guys who are going to replace them are largely guys, transfers, and, and, and the holdovers that didn't play last year, uh, except for one of the one of the transfers, the kid from Dayton. I want to say his name is Brian Christie, but I'm probably wrong. I know his first name is Brian. Um, I should have it committed, committed to memory, not quite there yet, but he started, he played a lot of Dayton and rated well in PFF pro football focus, had him in like 87 or 88 ranking as far as his offensive line play last year. But the other two transfers are, are guys who didn't play a lot at Penn state and Houston. Um, largely the guys who are coming back on the line from Virginia, the, the, the internal candidates are guys who didn't play a lot for the most part. Um, you got a good running back room. I think a really good running back room. They just can't block for themselves. And so even if Tony Musket is, you know, this generation's Peyton Manning, or if he was Arch Manning or whatever he would be, uh, we may not know that because it's going to be this whole offense is, is uh, with full of guys who still don't know each other very well and are going to be learning as the season goes on. Tony talked uh, when he was in the big ballroom at the kickoff about how this is year two and, you know, they're not, teaching as much as they're just you know kind of building on what they had last year but by my count at least six of the starters this year on offense of the 11 positions are going to be new guys so that's not necessarily holdover that's that's still a lot of a lot of interplay there with new guys so um it's it's going to be a challenge for musket given that everything else around him is new as well yeah and they had a spring to to work on that but that's only 15 days really and it helps but uh, it's certainly uh a, a, the vast amount of that chemistry is going to be built here in training camp which starts in it and i guess tomorrow really yeah but um yeah it, it's definitely going to be a challenge to try to uh to get these guys uh synchronized and, and working like a machine by the opening game, it's just like you said, it's a lot of working new parts that haven't been that familiar with one another. And that's, it takes time to build that sometimes, but, um, yeah, I, his familiarity with the offense certainly won't hurt. And I agree with you. I, th I think the, this is the best running back room from top to bottom that I can think of since the early outgrow years in the Wally Lundy, Alvin Pierman uh, days. Uh, I don't know if any of these guys are NFL backs or, or not. It's yet to be determined. But uh, there's certainly a lot of guys with experience and uh, capability if, if they can open some holes. And that's, that's going to, in my mind, um, I don't know if, if Tony Musket is the number one question mark as opposed to the offensive line because uh, what Tony a lot of what Tony Musket can do and what those running backs can do and what the wide receivers can do is going to depend on whether the offensive line can provide protection and holes so that Musket can have time to find receivers and time for receivers to run their routes and holes for the running backs to get through. So um, I think, again, and it, it, it seems like it's the same old question year after year after year, uh, with little exception, is, has been the offensive line. Can, can they get the job done? Can they be, do an adequate enough job to allow these other guys to do their jobs properly? And I know uh, Garrett 2J, was frustrated for, for many years over that fact. Uh, he's at NC State now. Um, uh, Terry, uh, half, half, um, gosh. Heffernan. Heffernan, yeah. Uh, who came over from Stanford as the new offensive line coach. Uh, and it's quite a challenge. And uh, I know he's very gung-ho on, on, on that challenge. Talked to him a little bit. And he believes that, they can be a, a good offensive line. He said he saw some talent in there that he believes he can develop. But uh, to me, uh, in training camp, 
that's that's the number one question. And number two is is Musket how he transitions from FCS to FBS. And I would even put a two B or maybe just number three, but if they related uh, related to number one offensive line, number two Musket. Musket, the only quarterback in the quarterback room with any game experience because yeah. Jay Wolfolk leaving uh, had at least the one start, some some relief action appropriately enough for Jay. Uh, but with Jay deciding to forego football to focus on baseball, um, Musket's the guy, Anthony Calandri, the backup. I think Anthony Calandri is a quarterback of the future, a quarterback of the future, I guess, instead of the, but he he is certainly a guy who Virginia can build around down the road. But he's he's got some spring game snaps. He's a true freshman. Uh, that's what he's got. The guys behind him um, are guys who uh, weren't expected to even challenge Calandria when Wolfolk was still in the mix to be the number three quarterback. It looked like going in before Wolfolk stepped away that it was going to be Wolfolk and Musket for the for the number one job, and then Calandria the clear number three. Man, if something happens to Tony Musket, I mean, this season already, Jerry doesn't look like it's got a lot of promise. But if something happens to Tony Musket, this thing could go off the rails historically. Um, so, I mean, keeping him upright, keeping him healthy is going to be incumbent for uh, Des Kitchings, uh, Tony Elliott, uh, uh, Heffernan. I mean, all those guys, that's got to be priority number one. That's a great point. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, they can't afford for Tony Musket to get hurt. Um Calandria is a kid with a, a strong arm and he's not shy. He's, he's, he's bold. He's almost too bold. Uh, I think they, they said in the, in the spring after the spring game when he was flinging it all over the place, but, uh, yeah, I mean, experience makes a difference and he has zero, uh, you just can't afford for musket to go down because, uh, you're right. I mean, you're going to have a, a true freshman out there with with no experience who's going to be whose strength is is throwing the football and uh, you know you just don't want to be in that situation i don't think uh you, you need uh, somebody with experience and who's been under pressure before and if musket goes down you're right i think it could be disastrous and that's not a slight on calandria he just not ready young guy yeah i think he's i think the world of him is potential but it's going to be uh we, we don't want to see him too early this year no offense to him we want we want to see as much musket as possible uh going into the, in, in, in this season so okay so we've talked about football one more break we'll come back after the break we're going to talk some uva basketball recruiting uh maybe a this will this will feel like a more positive conversation a lot of good stuff going on out there tony bennett and the staff scouring the, the basketball recruiting universe and making some offers. Jerry's got the latest on that, and we'll have that after the break. Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family-owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big-time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat-screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4600. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. All right, let's talk some UVA basketball recruiting now. Uh, We've been hitting this a lot this summer, Jerry. It's been keeping us very active uh, because Tony Bennett and his staff have been very active. What's the latest on the recruiting uh, beat? Well, Chris, since the last time we talked, Virginia's offered two two more players from the class of 2025, and uh, <clears throat> they're both really talented guys. And I, I think I think they've got a really good chance of getting this this kid from Manassas, Nate. I don't know if it's pronounced Ament or Ament. Uh, A M E N T. He's uh, he went to Colgan High School and tra- has transferred to Highland High School up in Northern Virginia. 
He's a six seven uh, small forward. Um, he's ranked number twenty two in the nation in his class. Uh, that's a pretty high ranking number, and that's by two four seven. Number twenty seven in the nation by on three. Um, two two four seven has him ranked as the number three small forward in the country. Uh, on seven has him as number seven, and and they both have him rated as the number one prospect in the state of Virginia. And Virginia, UVA, Virginia has not recruited the state of Virginia very uh, well uh, in, in recent years. They've got they haven't gotten too many guys out of the state. They've a lot of those guys have ended up at Duke or or uh, Maryland or or somewhere else, but. Uh, I think they've got a great shot at landing this kid. Um, he has offers from Maryland, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Iowa, Illinois, Providence, ODU, VCU. Um, I know he's he has visited Virginia unofficially, and he expressed a strong desire to have an official visit at Virginia. He also wants to have a visit in Indiana. Um, he's, a he's a kid who really, uh, that when, uh, Jamie Shaw, I think of two, four, seven, I, I think he's from two, four, seven, uh, asked him, uh, if he had dream offers and he said, yeah, uh, my dream, uh, I, and this was before Virginia offered him. He said, yeah, my dream offers would be Virginia and Kentucky and Kentucky has not offered. So, um, Virginia could be in the driver's seat on that. I know he's had a, a very strong relationship with Jason Williford, Virginia's associate head coach who has been all over this kid ever since, uh, the evaluation period started June 15th. Um, Matt Hatfield, who we've had on a podcast before from VirginiaPreps.com, does a great job on recruiting in the state of Virginia on football and basketball. And um, uh, Ament told Matt that uh, he can, he, he, he said, I can shoot and I can guard one through five, which is a pretty strong statement for a guy who's six, seven. So, um, one through five high school, maybe, <laughs> maybe not on this level, but, uh, I remember another guy who could shoot in garden one through five, uh, Deandre Hunter, um, yeah, no pressure on the kid there, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that's a rare bird, but when you have them, <laughs> boy, they make your team better. Absolutely. So, uh, I, yeah, I, th I think there's a really good chance of Virginia landing this kid and, uh, he had he hadn't given any timeline on on anything yet, but because uh, they're all finishing up summer ball, I guess, and looking toward their own seasons practices starting a little bit later. But uh, another kid that they offered during that time period, Chris, is uh, a Caden Lewis. Uh, we had written about him earlier about Virginia contacting him, but since then Virginia has offered him. Uh, they offered him July 27th, and um, he's a 6'2", 6'3", combo guard, left-hander from uh, Sidwell Friends School in D.C. Uh, he's a four-star, again, another 2025 uh, class. He's not rated as highly as a mint. He's uh, top 100 nationally by all the services. 69 by rivals, 77 by 247 composite. Um, and uh, in the top 13 at his position, and in one of the top two or three prospects in the state of Virginia, according to 247. Um, he's been offered by Virginia, Penn State, St. John's, Nebraska, Providence, Oregon, and Georgetown. He's a playmaker with really quick hands. He's a good passer, good defender. Uh, he's one of the top scoring guards in the class of 2025. 
uh, in uh, the Nike Elite 100 camp, uh, a five-day camp, I believe he scored uh, more than 120 points that week. And in one game, uh, he plays for Team Durant in the EYBL Summer League. Back on June 20th, Chris, he scored or assisted on 43 of his team's 51 points. Uh, he went 12 of 22 from the floor in that game, including 27 points, had seven assists and six rebounds. So uh, two pretty decent prospects there to add to the growing list of offers in 2025. We have a complete list of those uh, with each profile of players offered uh, on our website. So if you can't keep up with, I think there's nine or 10 guys they've rec uh, offered from that class already. Um, so you can go look up the, the profile on any of those players. We've uh, profiled each one of them. And at, at the end of each story, there's a nice chart that gives you a look at everybody offered in 25 uh, and 26. And uh, see, you can get a good look at, at what's out there. And I what, counted it up, Jerry. It's actually 11 now for 2025. 11, yeah. One for 2026, seven for 20, or seven for 2024, not including Christian Blues. He's already committed. Right. I'm, one thing I noticed about this Lewis kid, this is not fair, man. Um, from a genetic lottery standpoint, he's six three with a seven foot wingspan. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Where do you where I, I've I had Crystal measure my wingspan one time because I you know we were writing about somebody's wingspan. i you're supposed to have the same wingspan as your height, roughly the your height. So I do. I'm six feet tall. I got a six foot wingspan. Um, if you're six three with a seven foot wingspan. You'll play good defense if you if you could just shuffle your feet. You got those long arms out there. I mean, you know, you don't have to steal everything. They're just they can't get around you. So, I mean, you're talking about him being a top scorer. A guy like that can fit in the Tony system as a scorer. But and he, you talked about he's a playmaker too. But he can he'll be able to play some defense if he comes to Virginia. Yeah, no question. And I'm sure that's one of the things that attracted Virginia to him is uh, his ability to play both ends of the floor, particularly. Uh, and, uh, you know, he might be able to guard uh, a lot of positions <laughs> with a wingspan like that because uh, not many guys can boast that kind of a metric for sure. Yeah, move your feet, and, and you've got, you got, um, you got the enveloping nature of your arms to, uh, to help you out as far as that goes. So uh, good updates there uh, on the uh, basketball recruiting trail. And, again, like Jerry said, uh, go to the website, uh, click on any of those stories, and not only can you read about the – the individual uh, that's being written about from the headline, but you can also then see that that, that nice graphic that Scott Ratcliffe has put together that has all of the recruiting kind of encapsulized there too. So uh, that's always a big help. Well, Jerry? One, one thing I might mention too is uh, Scott, uh, who has done stories on uh, a couple of the new Virginia basketball players already for, uh, for both our sites, um, interviewed uh, Rody yesterday and um one of the other players um trying to think who it was i'd have to have a list in front of me and i can't i can't think of it right now uh but uh those will be coming up uh sometime this week because he also uh, has a profile on tony musket that he's working on and um i'm working on some defensive stuff and uh talked to uh, the two defensive backs that have transferred in. So we're going to be having a ton of uh, football and basketball stories uh, on the site here in the coming days. Yeah, with, with football practice starting uh, this week, uh, that will really jumpstart things for us. We're only a month and a day away from the opener on September 2nd. Uh, down coming fast. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's right. We, we, we finally made it through the uh, – the, the the quiet part of the uh the, the sports calendar uh with uh since the world series ended the college world series ended we had a few weeks where we had to make do with what we had and now we're back where the news comes at us fast and furiously as far as that goes so um well jerry i think as we're getting ready to wrap up the podcast here let's thank our sponsors who helped make all this possible for us 
Yeah, and before we uh, thank them, I'd, I'd like to remind people, if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to our podcast with Rondé Barber, uh, it's up on our website. And uh, I thought it was a, a, one of the best podcasts we've had. Uh, Rondé, it's just a great interview. <laughs> he knows exactly what people want to, uh, the stories that they want him to tell. and and. He has uh, some good stories and, and talks about his career, not only at Virginia, uh, but also with Tampa Bay. And he's going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton uh, next this coming weekend, I guess, August the 8th. Um, and uh, uh, gosh, I think he told me he's going to have over 400 guests up there. So that, can, that tells you how popular a guy is. Um, and certainly he was one of the most popular players to ever come through UVA. He and twin brother Tiki, uh, who I think also belongs in the hall of fame myself, but as uh, one of the great running backs in New York giants history, but, uh, check out that podcast. I think you'll be delighted to, to listen to it. But, uh, anyway, uh, yes, let's thank our sponsors. I'll start with Roback. Got sporting one of their shirts here. Uh, it's uh, they've got uh, so many different styles. It's unbelievable. You got the, the little dog logo here on the chest. Uh, great sportswear. Uh, it keeps you cool if you're playing golf. It uh, it soaks up uh, the sweat. Uh, uh, there's probably more technical terms for that, but <laughs> I think golfers understand what I'm talking about. Uh, they have a ladies line too. Uh, Great, uh, great clothing line, and they're they're right here from Charlottesville. They're a great story, uh, one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. So, uh, go to our website, click on their ad, and uh, you can get a nice discount with your first order. It helps support uh, what we're doing, and uh, helps support a local company. And they're UVA people too, so. Uh, I know a lot of you have started ordering from them. I, I, Chris, I noticed down at the kickoff, I saw Roback shirts everywhere. Everywhere I go now, I'm seeing Roback. So they're, uh, you don't want to be left out. So jump jump in on the, the Roback party. Uh, also, Aberdeen Barn, Virginia's finest steakhouse right there on 29 Emmett Street. Runs uh, not that far from UVA conveniently located great food great service great atmosphere you can't ask for more they're longtime uh sponsors of our uh endeavors and help us bring all this content to you free so go by and see terry and angela and tell them that hootie and chris sent you and uh enjoy it uh you don't know who you might run into at the barn there's everybody that's ever been anybody at uva uh dines there and uh you just don't know who you might bump into also the good feet store at stonefield jonathan cotton um one of the great human beings of all time uh, owns it he's a crozet guy big uva supporter a uh, big supporter of jerryrackliff.com and uh he, his heart is in the right place. He's all about community and faith. Uh, works, does some NIL packages for UVA athletes. Uh, their company also is growing like wildfire, Chris. Uh, they've opened stores in Bristol, uh, Wilmington, and um, gosh, I think a, a new store in Winston-Salem just the other day. So they're all over the place in the mid Atlantic and great people to support. If you're having, they, they, uh, specialize in, uh, designing arches for your feet. They do it right there on the spot. They measure your foot. They put your foot on, a um, some equipment that, uh, it's more sophisticated than I can explain. And it, uh, it, uh, they, they make the arches for your feet feet and your shoes right there while you're waiting and uh they really make a difference in how comfortable you can walk or run 
you don't have to be having problems, but if you are, uh, that can help solve those problems, walking, running. And um, even if you don't have problems, they still uh, give you great support for your feet and help. help. I'm a customer and I thoroughly can endorse their product. So uh, all these are good local people who uh, would love to have your support. So go by and and uh, let them know you appreciate them sponsoring us and uh, it helps us out a great deal. So drop by and visit them. Well, thanks to the sponsors. Uh, uh, thanks for the listeners and viewers on our, you know, listeners on the podcast, viewers on the YouTube. Uh, my thanks to Jerry Ratcliffe because this has been fun as always. Uh, lots of information here for our, our folks out there. Go to jerryratcliffe.com. Go to augustafreepress.com for the latest on UVA and ACC sports. And for the Hall of Famer, Jerry Ratcliffe, I'm Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great day.